on uh, on the Holy Spirit. We're talking about just some of the incredible things that the Holy Spirit does in our life and to teach us, encourage us, and empower us and all that. And we're going to be taking a look uh, when I come back about just that, that how God leads us and guides us because the number one question I'm asked, number one spiritual question is how can I know God's uh, will for my life? How do I hear from, uh, from God? So we're going to be taking a look at that. Today we're also going to be taking a look at something that we did that we looked at like, hey, where are you guys going? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, and I want to say hi to those who are watching online right now. More and more people are watching online. We're just so grateful for you, for you to, to be part of our family, your family be part of our family. We love you uh, and, and really uh, thankful that you're with us. Uh, but we took a look at a verse last week that one of the things that Jesus told us uh, something that he would bring, and here it is. It says, but I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I'm going. Uh, other, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, here's the word, convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we talked about one of the things that the Holy Spirit was supposed to come and do is convict us. And that's not a real, I mean, that, that word has a real negative connotation to us. But if we take a look at it, it's, it's a real positive thing. We, I hope by the end of today, you're going to look and see, you know, I'm so thankful for his conviction. I'm so thankful for what he does because we're going to be a lot stronger as, as, as Christians. We're going to be actually blessed by the conviction that God brings. And you know what? The conviction is that's that, that warning signal in our heart that we know we're about to do something wrong, say something stupid, hurt another person, things like that. And it's that, that whoop, whoop, whoop inside our heart going, don't do it, don't say it, don't do that. And, and then also if we do the things, you know, there's that, that yucky feeling in our heart that goes, you know what? I hurt God. I hurt myself. I hurt somebody else in this, that that. that feeling. There's also, not only does the word convict mean convict, but it also means convince. And really, I think that's a more positive way of, what, of taking a look at that, that the Holy Spirit wants to convince us of things, of, of what to do and what not to do and, and things like that. And so conviction is good for several reasons. And first of all, it is good for Christian maturity. It is necessary for Christian maturity. And I want to say this, first of all, how many moms do we have in here? Raise your hand and stuff. And in fact, could you just stand right now? We just want to say thank you. I love my mom so much. I'm so thankful that I had an incredible mom, not a perfect mom, but an incredible mom. And, and, uh, and it seems like for every, every year, I just am more, more thankful for the, the mom that God gave me. Uh, she's the most courageous person I've ever known in my life. And she taught me so many things. I was just reflecting last night about how many things my mom taught me uh, growing up. And, and she told me things that I, I needed to hear. And some of the things I needed to hear, most of the things she taught me that I needed to hear were, were good things, like I mean, things that, that blessed my heart and things like that, uh, you know, that she loved me and she was proud of me and just words of encouragement when I did something right. But there were also times that were very necessary that she told me things I needed to hear that I may not have wanted to hear, right? That there are things that she would say that, uh, that, that said, you know, Lowell, you could have done this better. Lowell, you, you, you did this wrong. And, and I look back and I know why she did that. It wasn't pleasant at the time, but I look back and I know it was because she loved me. I mean, she loved me enough to say something when I was doing something wrong. And she loved me enough to do that because she wanted the best in me. She wanted me to be the best me I could be. And even that meant sometimes convicting me, convincing me of where I could do something, something better. You know, yesterday I spent time with the, uh, the Seekers ministry that we have in the, in the church. And, and that's an incredible uh, thing that we have for, with scuba diving. 
Uh, and, and so I was kind of taking a refresher course there, hadn't done that for several, several years and wanted to remember what I was supposed to do there. And, and I loved how they do it because Shannon's incredible and the guys are incredible that do that. And they really, you know, underwater, when, you're doing it, when you do it the right way, they give you this when they do it or, you, or they even give you an applause. And I love it that they care enough to make sure you do it the right way. And if you don't do it the right way, they, they, they reinforce you and encourage you to do it the right way and, and do that. Why do I want that? I, in fact, looked after that. I went after that and spent my afternoon yesterday doing that because, because I didn't, I, first of all, I didn't want to die, right, when I go and scuba dive, and I wanted to do it the best that I could. And, and so there's times that you and I, we, we go under a leadership of somebody that is, you know, that is a coach or something like that because we want to do it the best we can. And the Holy Spirit is the greatest coach. The Holy Spirit acts like our mom to be able to say, you know, or a, a loving parent to say, you know, what, here's, and first of all, I love it that, that God form, foremost will clap and, you know, way to go, way to do that. So encouraging, so amazingly encouraging. And give us the words we need to hear of, of words of encouragement. But he also loves us enough and cares about us enough to give us words that we need, also need to hear that may not we want to hear sometimes, but it's words of you can do it better this way or that little conviction, that convincing of God, of, of God trying to just rub off the, the rough places in our, in our life. There's um, something else about my mom is my mom had one of these uh, when we were growing up. She had one of these mirrors that on one side, it was just a regular mirror. And on the other side, holy smoke, Virginia, right? I mean, that thing... Wow! It just you know it was enormous. Whatever you looked in there, and my brother and I, you know, we would just make faces in there, and we thought that was really funny. But but somebody suggested I get one of these. <laughs> that sounds weird. I get one of these to try to put in a context to help me. To, I was trying to learn how to put in, in context, and I and so I you know I just turned it around to the regular side and the mirror inside, and I you know I was trying to help out there. But but then all of a sudden, man, I turned it to the other side, and whoo! Right. I mean, that thing, I saw things I had no idea on my face. I mean, there was like, the first thing I noticed was a hair that was probably growing since the Reagan administration that looked like it was a Sequoia Redwood over out, out here. And I'm like, why did none of my friends tell me I'm growing a, a tree out of the side of my face? And then there's, you know, and then I didn't even know I had hair in my ears, right? And it looked like asparagus with this thing, you know, it's so, growing so big there. And then, you know, you also, there was a dry space on here that I wasn't even aware of. And then I was thinking, what would happen if you had a, you know, if you had a zit on this thing? Oh my goodness, it would look like, you know, Mount Vesuvius on there. But I'm like, who in the world would want to see their blemishes the size of an IMAX out there, right? But then you realize that, my, you know, I thought my mom was a beautiful lady. I know it skips a generation. I know that. I know that. But, you know, my mom was a beautiful lady and she wanted to get rid of anything that made it where she wasn't, any, any, any physical things that she could deal with and work on. And in the same way that, that, you know, if we do that physically, don't you think God wants to do that in our character as well? That sometimes it may not be fun to see those blemishes, but I'm thankful that I could get rid of the tree, that I could get rid of the asparagus, that I could get rid of the, you know, the Sahara Desert up here, that I could take care of those things. I didn't like it at the time. But it's really, really important, you know, for, for us to take care, especially of the, of the character things inside of our heart that the, God loves us. Here's the big difference between the Holy Spirit and this mirror, though. This mirror, all it did was show me the problems. The Holy Spirit not only shows me when the, the areas where I need to develop and the character areas, but it helps me do that. He comes in and strengthens me where I need to be strengthened. He gives me hope where I need to have hope. He gives me courage where I need to have courage. And he shows out and he teaches me what needs to take place. So I thank him for that. Another thing is uh, it keeps us from grieving God and hurting ourselves and others. 
You know, we think pain is always a terrible thing. We don't like pain. But you look at it that God's given us nerve endings for what reason? A big reason to protect us, right? That if we didn't have nerve endings, you know, we'd be sitting there leaning against a hot stove and we wouldn't even know it until we, you know, were burnt beyond, beyond repair. Or we could be stepping on a, on a nail that, you know, a rusty nail and not even know that we've punctured ourselves. Or we could, uh, or, you know, we could, we could do so many things with, with like even, you know, be bit by a, a venomous snake and not even know it that we need to be rushed to the hospital. And so God has given us pain, physical pain, uh, allowed that to happen in our lives to, pro- to protect us. But also God allows us to have some of the, that pain inside of conviction. And conviction can be painful, can it? When we know that we've hurt somebody... God, it's just a, a yucky feeling when we know we've, we've maybe that, that hurt God in some way too by, by things. It's that yucky feeling, but God allows that in there so we don't hurt people, so we recognize that, so we get away from the stove spiritually, so to speak. How many of uh, you saw the movie Inside Out? Raise your hand. I thought it was an amazing movie. I thought it was a great movie and, and so much insight into, into human, human character. And it's a, a, a movie, a, an animated movie about a, a young girl. You're good in the mind of a young girl by the name of Riley Anderson. And these, our emotions were, are personified in this, in this. And like the, the emotion of joy, the emotion of sorrow, the emotion of, of kind of, of, of yuck, the emotion of fear, the emotion of anger are, are all there. And, and so there's one part in that as, as this young lady is trying to, to uh, the emotions are helping her manage from her family moving from Minnesota to San Francisco. And there's one character in there, one emotion that I'm finding myself going, I don't like this emotion. And it's the emotion of, uh, of, of sorrow. And you're going, why? And I'm even thinking, and they geniusly make you feel this. And you're going, well, God, why did you even make this? I mean, it's just, she's such a downer in this movie and everything. Why did you even make that? But then you, at the end, you realize that, it's, uh, that she ran away from home and it's sorrow it, it wasn't joy that brought her back home. It was sorrow that brought her back into the arms of where she should be, back in the arms of her, of her parents. And the same thing, we need that godly sorrow in our life. There's a, there's a worldly sorrow that stinks, but there's this godly sorrow that brings us back into the arms of our Creator. And there's a, uh, there's, there's a passage in Scripture in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he, he confronts them about something they're doing wrong. And it's, it's a pretty bad thing they're doing. And they're convicted. They're convinced that what Paul says is right, and they are grieved. They are grieved in the, in the spirit. So the second book that Paul writes uh, to the Corinthians, he addresses that, and he actually says, we're going to see that. He's actually going, you know, I didn't mean to make you sorrowful, but I'm glad it worked. I'm glad that sorrow worked. And watch what he does. He shows the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And he also talks about here all the benefits that that sorrow did. That sorrow worked in their life in a good way. And here it is. It's from 2 Corinthians 7. It's not up here because I, I just did this last night. Even if I, I caused you sorrow uh, to my, to, by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended so that you would not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow, here's what it does. It brings repentance and it leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has provoked, has pr- pr- produced in you. What earnestness, eagerness to clear yourselves, and indignation, what 
alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. In other words, this thing took you to a whole nother level. Yeah, I'm sorry that you were made sorrowful, but this, that sorrow produced some great things in you. And think about how many times in your life that, that you were sorry for something that you did, but it took you to another level in your faith. It took you to another level in your character that maybe you had, I mean, think about it like you, maybe you have a problem with another person, but you, when you do that reconciliation, your relationship grows to another level if you do that right. The same way, if we if we do sorrow right that leads to repentance that leads to coming back in the arms of God not only do we get back with him but we realize man I don't want to do that anymore and God I want to do what pleases you it takes us to another level in our relationship with God and then you've got uh, Peter I think is the is the poster child for what good godly sorrow looks like and you remember the boast that he had remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed Jesus said this he goes you know what you guys are, are gonna are gonna all be scattered you're gonna leave me and and Peter stands up and says you know no matter what these other turkeys are gonna do I am not gonna leave you. I will go to prison for you Jesus I will die for you Jesus and Jesus goes Oh, really, you know, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to, or rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Do you even know who I am? And so, uh, and so Peter goes and, and there, Jesus is arrested and he splits with all the other disciples. Not only does he not stand, he doesn't, he's, he's gone. But things go from bad to worse, don't they? And watch what happens. He says this. He says, then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest Peter followed at a distance. Man, there's a sermon right there. How many people follow Jesus at a distance? Uh, but then they, they had, when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there by the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him also. But he denied it. Woman, I don't even know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you were one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord looked, imagine this, imagine being Peter. The Lord look, turned and looked straight at Peter. Have you ever had the Lord turn and look at you? Then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you're going to disown me three times. His big, big boast had turned into a big bust. And watch what he does. Watch what happens. Watch, you're about to witness deep heartfelt conviction. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And why did he weep? Did he weep because he thought Jesus didn't love him anymore? Did he weep because he thought he lost his, his place as a, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus? I don't think so. I think he wept because he just, there's that thing inside of going, man, I, I blew it. I let God down, I let myself down, I let my friends down, I let everything down. And every one of us in this room, we know what that feel, feels like. But here's the beautiful thing. God didn't bring that in his, in his heart to rub his face in the matter. God brought that in his heart to bring him back into relationship to me, and to raise him up to be an even stronger leader and the leader of the church after, after he, was, he was gone. And here's a big thing, too, is Peter was convinced after he had blown it, right? Peter was convinced after he blew it. There's a better way to be convinced than after you've blown it, and that's before you blow it, right? I mean, I grew up in Colorado, and there's, uh, in the mountains of Colorado, and there's, there's guardrails everywhere, just like there are mountains, uh, mountains here. And the guardrails are there. I'm so thankful for the guardrails, because they keep you from, you know, even in a worse situation, from flying off the cliff. And here's the thing. I would much rather have them have guardrails at the top of the cliff than having hospitals at the bottom of the cliff, right? 
In the same way, God would rather us have guardrails and and heed the instruction that he gives us at the top so we don't go flying off so he doesn't have to have repentance at the the bottom. It's much much smarter to heed the the warning signals that God has before we do something than to hear the conviction signals uh, after we, uh, we do something. And something else is it means that God is protecting us as, as well. We mistakenly sometimes believe that God has put this thing, this warning signal in, because he doesn't want us to have any fun. He's a cosmic killjoy. But every time he warns us, every time he warns us about something, it's so we don't hurt ourselves or we don't hurt somebody else. He's protecting us. And I remember one time when I was in, in college, I, I put a pizza in the oven and, and I went back to study like I normally do. But man, I spaced out this pizza. I was involved in the study and I totally spaced it out. And I'm here, woo, 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 woo. You know, I hear this smoke alarm and it's not just smoking. I open the thing up, it's on fire. I got pizza flambe going on, right? And I thought, you know, it was just one of those times where God taps me on, this, on the heart and he said, I don't put that there. That thing's not there to make it where you can't have fun. That alarm's there to make it so you don't burn down the house. And I thought the same thing. That God doesn't put the alarm in our, in our heart because he doesn't want us to enjoy life. He loves us for to enjoy life. But he doesn't want us to burn down the house. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or anybody else. And there's a, 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 right now a, a testimony of somebody in our church that shows the conviction of the Spirit that there was a thing that he didn't want to do, but he ended up doing because God was, God was pressing in on him. And there's something that somebody else didn't want to do, but they started, they obeyed because God was pressing in on them as well. I'm Chip Friend, and this is how we came to Crossroads. In 1995, my friend Tom introduced me to his new friend that he met on an Emmaus walk, Lowell McNanny. Tom said that Lowell was starting a new Methodist church in Concord that would have contemporary worship services, and that Lowell was looking for people to help him to start his church. Nancy and I talked about it, made the decision to attend a couple of services that were on Sunday evenings because that would not conflict with us going to our home church on Sunday mornings. Nancy began to feel that God wanted us to go and to help start this church, but I did not want to leave our home church in Salisbury. We were married in that church. Our kids were baptized there. Plus, I was the chair of finance committee, a Boy Scout leader, and loved our Sunday school class. Nancy and I had terrible arguments over this because she believed God wanted us to go. We finally stopped talking about it. We had plans to attend the Laity Conference at Lake Genalusco for the weekend. We agreed to ask God to give us a sign about what he wanted us to do. At the evening session, we were sitting at the very front of the auditorium, right in front of the speaker, right in the middle of this talk. I told Nancy that I had to go to the bathroom right then. I could not wait. I got up, began walking in that direction. In the back of the room, there was a woman who was being told by God that he wanted her to go to a man in the room and tell him to do what he was telling him to do. She said, well, God, there's a thousand men in this room. How do I know which man you want to give this message to? At that point, I stood up. God said to her, it's him. I headed back to the seat. This woman came up to me and said, I know you are going to think that I'm crazy, but God has told me to give you a message. He said for you to do what he's telling you to do. Does that make sense to you? Nancy came over to see what was going on, and she repeated herself to Nancy. Nancy told her we knew exactly what God was telling us to do and thanked her for giving me the message. 
Nancy and I talked about it that night and agreed that God was telling us to come and help start Crossroad. And here we are, almost 23 years later. <laughs> When God convicts us, when God leads us, when God talks to us, we have, uh, we have a choice. We can either heed or proceed. We can either heed with what God is, is, is telling us or we can go on with what we were planning on doing anyway. You know, there's a, a true story about a, a lady, a young lady who was, went out and walked her dog. And when she came back, she noticed that her dog went to the closet and was standing in front of the closet growling and snarling. And the, the hair on the back of it, uh, her, uh, her hair was, uh, was bristling. And so the lady had a choice. What would you do? What would you do if your dog all of a sudden is giving this warning that there's a problem, that there's something in that closet, that there's a problem? Uh, what would you do? What she did is she, she went outside. She heeded what her dog was saying, and she went outside, called the police. The police came, and there was a person hiding in, uh, an intruder hiding in, her, uh, in her, her closet. But then also she could have proceeded, right? She could have said, hey, there's nothing in there. I don't see a problem with that. So, and open up that door, and there would have been quite the surprise, wouldn't there have been? And the same thing is true in our life. God gives us, we can either heed and, and think about this. If she listened to her dog, the warning signal that her dog was giving her, how much more should we listen to what God is doing in our life? And if there's a warning signal that he loves us enough to do that, that we should heed what he is doing instead of proceeding and hurting ourselves and, and, and other people. You know, uh, the manufacturers, car manufacturers have the dashboard. On the dashboard, they have warning signals, don't they? Say, like, check engine or, uh, you know, you need oil or things like this. There's, there's there that they designed it. They put it in there to know if there is a problem that a warning light should go, should go off. And really, when that happens, we, we have a choice, don't we? First of all, we can listen to what it says. And, and, and usually, don't miss this, that usually that will be a problem in the short term. The something we have to do, we'll probably have to pay a little something to get it fixed, or we have to spend time to fix it, or something like that. But it saves us from, in, from being hurt in the long run, from being stranded on the side of the road, from burning out the engine, from a much greater cost down the, down the road. So heating here can help us. Maybe it's a little frustration, but it helps us down here. Or we can, the other thing we can do is we can ignore the signal, can't we? In fact, I remember, you can think I'm joking, but there was a guy I'm driving with one time and I see some, some masking tape on his, on his dashboard. I said, what is that about? And he said, it's so I don't see there's a warning light that keeps coming on and I don't want to, and it keeps bothering me. And I'm like thinking, okay, you're a rational human being. And you're actually thinking that it's going to be better off for you if you, if you don't pay any attention to the designer the, and the, the builder of this, of this thing to just totally ignore it and pretend like it's not there. And I thought, you know where I'm going on this, don't you? Because how many times that God puts that in there, in our, something in our heart, and there's people, there's times we ignore what God's clearly telling us to do or to not do. And sometimes we will ignore that thinking, even though we're not only a rational human being, we're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can think somehow it is better if we proceed on our own than listen to the one who created us, who designed us, and who knows everything about it. Another third thing that we can do is we could take a hammer and go, man, I don't want this thing bothering me anymore. Bam, right? And we can smash that thing so there will never be another signal in back into our, you know, giving us a, a warning signal. And we do that also in our, our faith, don't we? 
That there are times that if the Holy Spirit convicts us of something that we should be doing or not doing, and, and we don't want to hear it a lot of times. So, or maybe it's a belief system that we have that is contrary to the Word of God. And, and so we have a choice at that point. We can either heed what God is saying, and we can go, God, you're, you're telling me I need to be up here. I'm here, so I'm going to go up. I'm going to take my life up to your level. Or we can say, you know, God, I'm just going to keep doing and believing what I'm doing down here, and I'm going to take your word down to my level. And I'm going to pretend you really didn't say what it is, and I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. And I'm just going to, and I'm, I'm not, when somebody says, hey, this is what the Bible says, I'm going to totally ignore it. And let's ask this, because we have a country, we have a nation, we have our culture that has done this, haven't we? I mean, think about it. Our nation was founded as a Christian nation. Our government was founded on the Word of God. Our educational system was founded on the Word of God. And right now, what we've done a lot of times is we have taken, we have a, a culture that is, taken, that is trying desperately in the last two generations to take God out of our government, to take God out of our educational system, to take God out of our media in, in every way. And let me ask the question, let's ask, do a Dr. Phil thing. How's that work for us? How's that work for us as a nation? Let's get some, uh, some statistics. And here's just some of the things. America has the highest STD infection rate in the entire industrialized world. The United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the entire industrialized world. Every single year, there are 20 million new STD cases in the United States. Approximately one-third of the entire population of the United States, 110 million people, currently have an STD, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. It has been estimated that 89% of all pornography is produced in the United States. The average age of a young lady who gets involved in sex trafficking, the average age is 12 years old in the United States. An astounding 30% of all internet traffic goes to adult websites. It is estimated that one out of every four girls will be sexually abused before they become adults. In the United States today, more than half of all couples live together before they get married. America is the, has the highest divorce rate in the world by a large margin. For women under the age of 30 in the United States, more than half of all babies are being born out of wedlock. The United States has the highest abortion rate in the entire Western world. America has the highest incarceration rate and the largest total prison population in the entire world by a wide margin. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, doctors in the United States write more than 250 million prescriptions for antidepressants for our nation. Right now, there are 70 million Americans that are on mind-altering drugs in one form or another. America has the highest rate of illegal drug use on the entire planet. According to the FBI, there are more than 1.4 million gang members involved in 33,000 active criminal gangs in the United States. And there are more than 3 million reports of child abuse in the United States every single year. And you know I could go on and on and on. And maybe we as a nation need to heed the word of God again and heed what God is saying to to us as as a nation where we may not even have a society in a few years. In Isaiah, um, God says this. God, uh, God looked at his people in love and he keeps warning his people. And, he's, and he said this. He said, here's the problem. You're not listening to what I'm saying. You're closing your ears to me. And it's to your detriment. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt this nation. And watch what he says. And maybe it's, maybe it's what God is saying to our nation as well. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. 
He goes on to say that this attitude is hurting us as a, as a nation, and maybe God would say that to us as well. Maybe, maybe, maybe God is saying we need to get back to hearing from what he says and, and listening to what the, what the Bible says about what is right and what is wrong. And God, but God gives this wonderful promise if we stop having that attitude, if we start listening to what he says again. And as an individual and as a nation, he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. God in his love says to us as individuals, as a, as a church, as a nation, as a people, and saying, come back to me and let that godly sorrow come to lead, him back to, lead us back to him. Another thing that it means, that sorrow, that the conviction means, is it means your heart is sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Praise God. If you're feeling the conviction of the Spirit, praise God you're sensitive enough to the Spirit to feel that, to hear that, to hear His voice, to feel His, his, his plotting, his, his touch. Because I remember, I, I may have said this recently, is there, when I was learning to play guitar, the first times when you're pressing against those chords, it hurts. It, it hurts. And, but after a while, it doesn't hurt as much. Then after a while, it doesn't hurt at all. And after a while, it has so many calluses, you can't feel anything. In the same way that when, when God touches us in our spirit and saying, do that or don't do that, if we listen to him, then it makes us even more sensitive to his voice the next time, which is beautiful. But sometimes also, the, if, we, if we proceed with what we were gonna do anyway, somehow we just start beginning a little less sensitive. The next time, it's, you're a little less sensitive to the voice of God and a little less and a little less, and pretty soon it can be what, what it says in 1 Timothy 4 too. It says we can be callous, that our, even our consciousness can be seared as with, a rot, uh, with an iron. Another thing it means is, and you hear this, is it means you're growing up in your faith. If you're feeling a conviction of the Spirit and you move in that, it means you're growing up. And moms, you know that. You know that about your kids. You know that if, that if they're starting to listen to what you have to say, they're maturing. They're starting they're, and, and you don't have to just beat them. Be, you know, I don't mean literally, but I mean say, you know, beat them and say, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's in, and they do it less and less because, fight it less and less because they're, because they're convinced that what you're doing is right. And then there comes that time. I remember when my dad, I remember my, my parents would, would ask me to mow the lawn and I'd, ah, yeah, 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 I don't want to. And then pretty soon I'd do it less and less because you know why? Because I was maturing. And then there came the day, I still remember this day, I remember the day and I thought, I know why dad wants me to mow the lawn. It's because if I don't, it looks junky. And I got my dad's heart of saying, you know what, I want my, our house to look good, just like dad and mom want the house to look good. So I'd go out there and mow it without them even telling me, <laughs> you know? And, but isn't that, that's, that's when we mature as Christians, when we hear that all God has to do is, and he doesn't have to just do this, all he has to do is tap on our, our heart. And we go, yes, sir, yes, Lord. I'll do that. No, sir. No, Lord. And then what's even greater is when we have so much, in our heart is so much in kindred with his heart. He doesn't even have to say anything. We just want to do it because we know it's right. We have the same, we, we start loving the things he loves and we start hating the things he hates. And when he's not there, and we, when, when we mess up, he's there with that conviction and he touches us on our heart. And when, thank God, when we blow it and we go off the cliff, that he's there to say, even with his, his convincing there and say, what you did was wrong. So we come back, not so he can rub our face in the mud. If you ever feel your, bra- your face rubbed in the mud, it's not, God that does that. It's Satan that does that because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what God wants to do is bring us back. The conviction is to bring us back into his arms, to bring us back into right relationship with, with ourselves and with other people. And I don't know about you, but I thank 
God for the, for the, the roosters that have crowed in my life, for bringing the crows and continuing to do that on a regular basis, that I'm about to do something or I've done something, and he, and he lets that no, be known that I could do it a better way. So I pray that we realize that God doesn't bring conviction to, to, to make life miserable. He brings conviction into our life to make life wonderful. Thank you.